0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and I am excited to be sharing with you the first sermon of our new series. It's our generosity series. It's called Our Money Story. And in this series, we are looking at ways that we can move away from how society tells us to interact with money and to have an honest uh, conversation about the role that money plays in our lives and to live into God's money story, which is one of liberation and freedom and transformation. Uh, Check out this first sermon uh, as we draw from Exodus. I remember when I was younger, uh, maybe around seven or eight years old, my, my cousins and I, we were all gathered at my grandparents' house. Uh, the family had gathered for one reason or another and after dinner the parents all met upstairs to talk and to have tea and to hang out while all the kids were downstairs playing. And I, I remember that every few minutes, uh, one of us kids would run upstairs because we uh, needed something. We would say, hey, I need a drink. And then a couple minutes later, another kid would go up, I need a snack. And another kid would go up, I need paper. And, and I need a marker. Or I need something else to eat. And, and I think that the parents were so annoyed that they set us up with this challenge. It was actually one of my aunts, but I won't tell you which one. Um, every 30 minutes or so, She said, I will call you all upstairs. So once every 30 minutes. And the challenge is for you to memorize poems from Shel Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends. So for every one-pager poem, we would get a quarter. For every two-pager poem, we would get two quarters. Which meant we all tried to find those ones that like four lines and like three words each line but we were pacing back and forth downstairs. We're not even playing with each other anymore, and we are single-mindedly focused on memorizing these poems, and I wanna share with you my favorite one that I still remember today. It's called Smart. I practiced this to try to recite it. I'm not doing that, so I'm gonna read it for you all. My dad gave me one dollar bill because I'm his smartest son, and I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And then I took the quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he didn't know that three is more than two. Just then, along came old blind Bates, and just because he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes, and four is more than three. And I took the nickels to Hiram Coombs down at the seed feed store, and the fool gave me five pennies for them, and five is more than four. And I went and showed my dad, and he got red in the cheeks. He closed his eyes and shook his head, too proud of me to speak. We all have our own money stories. That's part of mine. And I can also point to uh, Saturday mornings, going to the bank with my dad, watching, as he would always include in his withdrawal, uh, a couple of crisp dollar bills that he would leave on my and my brother's dressers every Saturday morning to have ready to bring to church for offering. I can also point to a McDonald's stop that my family and I uh, went to on a family road trip we were uh, driving probably to my grandparents house cross country uh, stopped at a McDonald's where they were running a promotion where you scratch off uh, the silver part of you know this card with with a coin uh, to win prizes and and it was my first time and I was so excited to do this that I diligently went to scratch uh, the the silver with the quarter and I must have overestimated my, my own strength because the next thing I knew I had scratched all the way through through. the card, and then I went to take that card to redeem my prize because I could still make out the words breakfast sandwich on it, and when I came back from the counter empty-handed, I can still remember the look of disappointment in my dad's face, another part of my money story. I can point to times when I made money only to give it to my dad because my money was his money and his money was my money, And I can point to times when I asked for money to go out with my friends and he gave it to me more than I needed because his money was my money and my money was his money. I can point to times when I borrowed money from a roommate, when I saw someone asking for money at a street corner and the times that I gave money and the times I did not. I can still point to times even today when Joanne and I, we sit down every year to set our values to work on our budget. I wonder what memories come to you as you think about money. Because we all have our own money stories and yet they say that the top three things to not talk about at the dinner table is money, politics, and religion. And I think that's the problem. Our society has such an unhealthy relationship with these things that we don't allow them into the fabric of our lives. We try to keep money separate from everything else and we forget that while money cannot be the only factor in our lives, money is part of our everyday being. Our relationship with money is part of our human selves, It's part of our holistic health and it should be part of our spiritual selves. Money and possessions are some of the most common topics throughout Scripture. And Jesus talks about money more than faith and prayer. In fact, something like 25% of all the parables found in the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all about money or include some reference to possession or to money. And so our money story, therefore, has to be also a spiritual story. And perhaps it's time that we start thinking about it in that way. And so that's what our series is gonna be about. We're going to reframe our money story, our our individual stories and our collective church's money story so that we are more aligned with God's money story. And what I mean by that is some story that is more liberating, that is more inviting, that is transformative because there lies the power of money. So today we're going to start with this word, remember. 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 I'm thinking about United Methodist Church pastor, uh, the Reverend Joseph Lowry, who founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, with Dr. King and others. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom as the Dean of the Civil Rights Movement, and he he was once reflecting uh, on the pains of the movement, the hardships of the Civil Rights Movement, and he said, if you don't know where you come from, it's difficult to know where you are, and it's even more difficult to plan where you are going. I think it's not only human nature, but it's part of our faith narrative to tell these stories. And we see this in our text today. We, we tell over and over and over the story of God's faithfulness in our lives. Exodus is all about remembering the story of God's faithfulness because the story of God is the story of God's relationship with God's people throughout time. And Exodus starts with the people enslaved in Egypt, and God hears their cries. Scripture says God looks upon them and is concerned about them. And as God is delivering the people out of slavery, they're stuck now at the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptian army storming towards them, stomping with their chariots and their armies from behind. And we see God opening a way for them And we see the Israelites complain, and God provides. And we see the Israelites complain some more, and God provides. And even in our text today, starting in verse 2, we hear the whole congregation of the Israelites complained, and again, we find that God provides. What I love about this text is not only that God continues to provide over and over and over for God's people, but it's in the way that God provides. See, see, since Egypt, the people were in survival mode. When they were enslaved, they were rationed food and supplies by the Egyptians throughout the time of slavery. They only got enough to eat for their survival. And when they go on the journey, when they leave enslavement and go on the journey, the journey is full of them being hungry and thirsty. They're trying to survive along the way. And so they balance this tension, right, of wanting to run forward and away from the captors while also wanting to survive, even if it means sometimes going back to slavery. And they finally get to this breaking point. God, where are you? We are hungry and you aren't here. We would rather Be enslaved than have the possibility of freedom. They say we would rather be enslaved than have the possibility of freedom. And again, God provides. Not only for a day, not only for one moment, but God provides enough, enough for that whole day. And again, enough for tomorrow and again, enough for the day after that. God provides enough and enough and enough. And even later when we see that the people can't trust God to provide enough, even later in our text when these people gather more than they're supposed to, more than they need, when they gather on those days that they're not supposed to, God still provides them with enough. So much so that we go all the way to Joshua 5 40 years later and that same manna that that bread that that what is this that carried them through day after day after day that manna comes to them every single day for 40 years some 14,600 days until they finally arrive into a habitable land and they eat the produce of that very land god provides for them manna day after day after day until they can provide for themselves i wonder what stories we remember i wonder what attitudes we carry with us when we do remember those See, there's a guy named Douglas Meeks who who wrote uh, God the Economist, and he, he, he describes our culture's sense of scarcity this way. He says, No matter how much you have, there is still this lingering fear that it might not be enough. That's what it means to live in scarcity. And too often, that's the story we tell. I think it's why Martin Luther on this day over 500 years ago he he walked all the way to All Saints Church in Wittenberg and this day that we now call Reformation Day, he, he walked his way to the church and nailed to the door his 95 Theses. He's challenging the cultural, societal, and even religious norms the norms that tell us that there isn't enough, that we're living in a time of scarcity. He pounded that nail into the wall, reminding them that God's grace is enough, that God's love is enough, that salvation cannot be bought, that God's love and grace is abundant and enough. Yeah. There's a different way to live than how society tells us there's a new way, God's preferred way, and we remember that way so that we can live into it. You know, earlier I was telling you the story about my cousins and how I memorized those uh, poems at, at the grandparents' house, so, so those those many years ago, and, and here's a few things that I remember. Because even though I only got a few quarters that night, I also remember the time at my grandma's house was full of abundance. I remember the feast we had around her dinner table and the veggies that came from her garden, the smells of spices and the aromas of of the flavors filling the room. I remember all the laughter. She would tell stories that didn't make sense and we would laugh and we would tell jokes that she didn't understand and we would laugh and you know when that laugh is contagious and laugh and laugh and laugh. I remember sitting next to her, reading. Uh, She would be reading at the, at the dining table. I would have my book next to her and we would just be feeling safe in her presence. I remember love and life I remember the gift that she was to me and to the world. I remember, most of all, abundance. And so that's my prayer for us today, that we might remember that God does provide enough, that our stories are full of times of abundance and that God's story is one that challenges us and reminds us to be God's people as we move ahead on that journey, amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time together, for an opportunity to be gathered in worship, in person and online. We thank you that your love and your grace transcends uh, borders that has no bounds, that connects us all. And so God, we pray for the courage and the strength to be the people you call us to be, that we would leave behind the things of old, the things of scarcity that keep us tied to uh, the ways of the world, but we pray that you would challenge us to live into your promise of abundance that we might be courageous in all that we have and in all that we give and in all that we share. For it is in your holy name that we pray, amen. All right, that was our first sermon from our money story. And uh, we have three more weeks left. We're going to be talking about uh, release. This coming Sunday, and it's going to be a great one uh, drawing from Deuteronomy. So come back and check this out next week. Uh, Later on this week, we'll drop another episode of a conversation that I got to have with Joel Rodriguez, who was a planter here in the Pacific Northwest, and he talks about his journey of his faith formation as well. Uh, Until then, have a great, great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.